is Generation Justice, a multimedia project that trains youth to harness the power of media for social change. I'm Kateri Zuni. Tonight, we have a special edition of Generation Justice. It's a celebration of oral history where we'll spend the hour meeting a man who people call Mr. Apollo. His real name is Billy Mitchell, and he is the director of tours, historian, and ambassador for the world-famous Apollo Theater in Harlem, New York. GJ Senior Fellow Polly Dinetclaw interviewed Mr. Apollo, and we'll join them to learn about this iconic theater, the music that it has housed, and the lives it has enriched. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Polly Dinetclaw, Generation Justice Senior Fellow, and I'm sitting here with Billy Mitchell, also known as Mr. Apollo. He is the house historian and the Apollo Theater Tour Director. Billy, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Can you just tell me a little bit more about yourself? My name is Billy Mitchell, and my positions here at the Apollo Theater, I'm the Director of Tours, I'm the in-house historian and the Apollo Theater ambassador. The first time I walked into the Apollo, I couldn't believe, because even at the age of 15, not being from Harlem, but from Mount Vernon, I was aware of this place called the Apollo Theater, because my parents used to go here. Uh, my aunts and uncles would talk about, we're going down to Harlem to the Apollo Theater. We're going to see the Drifters. We're going to see little Anthony and the Imperials. You know, we're going to see Sam Cooke. So I knew this was a place uh, that was dear to people, uh, and particularly on a night when the grown-ups wanted to go out and have a good time. They said, we're going down to Harlem to the Apollo. So, but when I first walked in the theater, I didn't know the magnitude of the history because it was still growing. That's 1965. You know, the Apollo came popular before I was born. Imagine Billie Holiday on a talent show. Uh, Ella Fitzgerald on a talent show. Uh, that was before I was born. And then uh, when I became a teenager, uh, you know, the Temptations came around, the Motown sound. And those were the acts that I would come here to see and run errands for, the Temptations, the Supremes, uh, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, you know, and that's, that's who I started running errands for them. Can you give me a brief history of the Apollo Theater? Uh, the building where the Apollo Theater is located was built in 1914 as a burlesque house. Uh, the building was originally called Hertig and Siemens New Burlesque Theater. And then in the early 1930s, New York City elected this new no-nonsense mayor by the name of Fiorello LaGuardia. And Mayor LaGuardia publicly hated burlesque, and he got the support of the citizens of New York to let him shut down all burlesque theaters in the city of New York. And he closed them in Lower Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan, and in Harlem. In 1934, new owners buy the building and they changed the name from Hertick and Siemens New Burlesque Theater to the Apollo Theater. And that is uh, the name that we still hold to this very day. And Mr. Apollo, can you describe for us the physical characteristics of the Apollo Theater? When you walk into the Apollo Theater lobby, the first thing that's going to strike you is these gorgeous, uh, beautiful chandeliers hanging from the walls. Uh, they're made out of Venetian crystal. Uh, the glass was made on the island of Murano in Italy, 
and then brought to the Apollo Theater in 1986. There are also mirrors all over the walls that the chandeliers reflect off of. So it gives a, a sense of elegance to the theater. It makes the lobby look brighter. And then on another side of the wall of the lobby, when you come in the theater, there are a wall of uh, legends. Uh, the legends of the Apollo Theater, they're, they're uh, photos are in collages lining the whole uh, length of the lobby. Uh, that strikes you people as, my God, this place is gorgeous. Then when you go into the main auditorium, uh, you see these beautiful, beautiful uh, seats, a wonderful stage. There are pillars in, in the theater that gives that old Greek neoclassical look. Uh, it is just a beautiful theater. They don't make theaters like this anymore because uh, this theater is 101 years old, and most theaters are now 4,000 seaters, the minimum, but the Apollo Theater is only 1,538 seats. So it's very intimate for performers who want to be close to the audience and also for the patrons who want to be up close to the uh, performers. So it's a, it's a special theater um, that, that people, once they walk in, uh, they are really struck by the beauty. But the other thing they notice is when they see this theater on television, it looks a lot larger on TV. And that's basically because of the type of lenses we use on TV cameras. Uh, when we shoot television shows here, we use fisheye lenses. And then when one comes here, they say, my God, it looks much bigger on TV. But it's still a very, very beautiful theater. Uh, it, they don't make theaters like this anymore. And that's why people are struck by the beauty of it. After it had closed in 1977, it reopened in 1984 by one of my mentors and some investors, a guy named Percy Sutton. Uh, he was former Manhattan Borough president and a very prominent businessman here in New York. And he owned uh, the radio station WBLS and WLIB. And, uh, and I always admired this man. Uh, while living in the Bronx, I campaigned for uh, Percy Sutton when he was running for Manhattan Borough President. I'm living in the Bronx, campaigning for a guy in Manhattan, but I used to see Mr. Sutton on the news all the time, and I was so struck by how articulate he was in his speech, how dignified he was. Uh, he always wore suits, and that's one of the reasons why I wear suits and ties to this day. This is a Suttonism. Uh, I, I owe so much to Percy Sutton. Uh, God bless him. He, uh, he opened a theater again in 1984, and he hired me here as an usher in 1984. And then he gave me opportunities to open up a store, a Powell Theater gift shop. And then he gave me opportunity to uh, audition people for Amateur Night. So I came audition people for Amateur Night under Mr. Sutton's uh, uh, tutelage. Uh, he gave me the opportunity to do group sales. And then Mr. Sutton uh, relinquished ownership of the Apollo in 1991. The building was then taken over by the state of New York, who had this organization form called the Apollo Theater Foundation to come back in and run the theater in 1991. And I had to find my way back here because they had brought in new people and uh, new staff. You know, those of us who worked for Mr. Sutton were let go. So how I got back to the Apollo, uh, these guys uh, asked me to help them produce children's shows. And then uh, radio station WLIB asked me to help them produce a Caribbean Amateur Night and a Caribbean Music Award. 
And the new owner said, who's this guy? He, needs, he seems to know this place left and right. So I says, I would like to come back home. I, you know, I was here before you guys. And then they offered me, the new owners in 1992, uh, offered me a job doing group sales. And then I suggested that we do tours. Uh, I know the history, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I want to get the truth out there rather than his story. I want to get the truth. Uh, and uh, they started letting me allow me to do tours, and I had no idea it would take off the way it has. It's now one of the premier events at the Apollo Theater to do a historic tour. The Apollo Theater is known for its Amateur Night series. Can you talk to me more about the series and its importance to the Apollo Theater? Amateur Night uh, at the Apollo was created in 1934 by an African-American from Harlem, a very fine actor by the name of Ralph Cooper. Uh, Ralph had a radio show uh, that was very popular on radio station WMCA. It was called the Harlem Amateur Hour Radio Show. And when he worked out a deal with the owners to bring it to the Apollo Theater, they renamed it Amateur Night at the Apollo. Now, 1934, when Ralph Cooper brought that show here, in October of 1934, by the way, it was the first, that year was the first time that African Americans were allowed in the building. Uh, the building uh, from 1914 to 1932, it was an all-white burlesque house. And at the end of the Harlem Renaissance, a lot of black acts have been, uh, been discovered and the audiences that were normally coming in to see burlesque, they now wanted to see some of these acts like Fats Waller, Cap Calloway, U.B. Blake, you know, Duke Ellington. So the Apollo Theater owners started presenting colored reviews at the Apollo Theater. And Ralph Cooper uh, put the first show together on January 26, 1934. Uh, the whole cast was black. The audience was uh, white brothers and sisters. And the show was called Jazz a la Carte. It was such a huge success. The owners asked him to bring another show. And that show was brought in October. It was Amateur Night, the Apollo. And the first female to win that talent show competition was a 16-year-old girl by the name of Ella Fitzgerald. There's a saying old says that love is blind Still we're often told seek and you shall find So I'm going to seek a certain lad I've had in mind You're listening to Generation Justice. Tonight we've heard from Billy Mitchell, director of tours, historian, and ambassador for the historic Apollo Theater in Harlem. Mr. Mitchell, also known as Mr. Apollo, shared the theater's history with senior fellow Polly Dinetkla. Let's rejoin them. Do you think performing at Amateur Night is a good indication of if you're going to make it? To be chosen, because uh, you have to go through an audition process to be on Amateur Night, and the producers, uh, Marion J. Caffey 
and uh, uh, Kathy Jordan, they choose only the best amateurs that are out there. People have to audition because they have a reputation of hold. The, the Apollo Theater has a legacy of bringing nothing but the best artists, whether you're an amateur or a professional. So once an amateur is uh, given the opportunity to perform on amateur night, that's just like, uh, you know, I've made it, you know, and, you know, as an amateur, because before nobody knew, now I'm, I'm getting to perform on the stage that Michael Jackson and, and Taylor Swift and, and Bruce Springsteen and, and James Brown performed on. So they get that opportunity. That's where, why we have this slogan, where stars are born and legends are made, you know, and amateur night is a way for uh, 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 somebody that's not professional to get exposure because you never know who's in the audience watching you. Uh, it also gives you that confidence. If you are uh, uh, shown to be worthy of the brutally honest Apollo audience, then you know that, well, hey, maybe I do have talent. But the thing about it, the audience can also tell you that you're not ready because they will boo you. Uh, uh, and it's not to be mean or malicious. That The audience is just telling the performer that, you don't have what it takes yet to get our approval. And the amateur can always come back after being booed. It can come back six months later and give it another shot. I mean, uh, Luther Vandross was booed three times. Uh, uh, from uh, he and his team three times. James Brown did not make it through amateur night, you know. Uh, so, you know, these, uh, these are people that, uh, you know, they're the exception, but People do get booed and then go on to do well. Jamie Foxx was booed, um, I mean, mercifully. Jamie Foxx was booed. Now he's a, a legend. You know, Mike Epps is in every movie that you can imagine. He was booed. You know, uh, Dave Chappelle uh, was booed. And he goes on TV shows and tells people the first time he was booed, but it opened up his eyes that he needed to step his game up. So getting booed is not the end of the world. It's just that that particular night, uh, you didn't have what the Apollo Theater liked. Out of all the incredible people and amazing people that you mentioned, can you pick one where you were like, this is amazing? Stevie Wonder is my favorite artist of all time. Uh, I just love his messages. I love his spirit. Uh, I love the, uh, his, uh, the way he writes, uh, the way he performs, and his professionalism. Uh, Stevie Wonder will always, and I do mean always, give you three hours of nonstop Stevie Wonder, where others may give you an hour and a half, hour, 15 minutes, then they get their money and they're out the door. Stevie's going to give you three hours. No matter what concert, no matter what venue he plays in, he's going to give you three hours. He doesn't want to leave the stage. Uh, we had a show here a few years ago. Stevie Wonder did a concert, and after the show, uh, we had an event across the street, an attempt. And then as he left the building, he heard Dougie Fresh rapping uh, in the tent across the street. So he says to his handlers, get me to a piano, quick, get me where Dougie is, get me to a piano. 
It was one of those special Apollo Theater moments that will never, ever happen again. He just finished a concert and then wanted to get down with Dougie Fresh. It was awesome. Within the past few years, who has really stood out to you? Well, in the past uh, couple of years, I saw Justin Bieber here. Uh, um, I saw uh, old school folk singer James Taylor. I saw John Cougar Mellencamp. Uh, uh, and there, there have been so many people that I've seen. Some of them I've even forgotten, but uh, these are just names that come off the top of my head because they all were legends. And now they're, they're you know, Bruce Springsteen, E Street Band, you know, playing the Apollo. You know, that's, that is so awesome. Uh, you know, uh, and, and when Paul McCartney uh, did his show here, uh, his people actually asked me to introduce him that night in concert. That will go down big. Uh, I'll be able to tell my grandchildren, I introduced a Beatle from the stage of the Apollo Theater. That's real gangster, baby. <laughs> baby, I'm amazed at the way you love me all the time. Or maybe I'm afraid of the way I love you. Welcome back to Generation Justice. Tonight we hear from Billy Mitchell, also known as Mr. Apollo. He is a director of tours, historian, and ambassador for Harlem's Apollo Theater. Mr. Apollo spoke with senior fellow Polly Denetkla about the theater, the music, and his life's work. Let's join them again. You know, I want people to come here, uh, and just like you're doing, uh, learning the true history of the theater. There's a lot of misinformation out there about the Apollo Theater that people need to come and find out for themselves. Uh, there's no doubt that the Apollo Theater is the epic center of African-American culture. However, every race, every culture, every ethnic group, has contributed to the Apollo Theater's wonderful history. However, the African-American experience has probably been the most dominant, but, you know, our white brothers and sisters, our Latino, our Asian, our Indian, uh, our striped, our polka dot, everybody has contributed to this Apollo Theater's history. So is there something here for everybody, every culture, and something that we all can be proud of? This is an American uh, uh, cultural theater, not just an African-American theater. What is your favorite memory of the Apollo Theater? Oh, God, my favorite memory at the Apollo Theater. I, you know, I honestly, honestly can't tell you a favorite, but I've had a few moments that, that stuck out. Uh, one was when um, I got a call from the White House 
uh, saying that Mrs. Obama wanted to come here to do a tour. And in 2010, uh, I took Mrs. Obama, Sasha Malia, her daughters, Mrs. Obama's mother, and some friends on a private tour of the Apollo Theater. And I got the idea to write my autobiography after that tour. And uh, my book is out now. It came out a year later after Mrs. Obama's visit. And I even have a quote from her on the outside cover of the book. The book is called They Call Me Mr. Apollo. And it tells my life story, how I got here, but just by walking past the building one day and the owner offers me to run errands. I had just gotten uh, uh, moved to the Bronx from my hometown of Mount Vernon, and I had just gotten out of forced care. My family was in bad shape, so I came to Harlem to borrow some money from a relative, and I'm walking past the backstage door of the Apollo, and the owner says, hey, kid, what are you doing? I says, I'm going to my aunt's house. You want to make some money? And I was getting ready to run because I didn't know what he was talking about, and he assured me that he wasn't going to bother me. He wanted to know if I wanted to make some money by running to the store for people to get their coffee, newspapers, uh, shoe shines, etc. And that was back in 1965. What significant role do you think the Apollo plays in the community of Harlem? Oh, in the community of Harlem, the Apollo Theater is the pride and joy of Harlem. Uh, You know, uh, people come to Harlem and you hear, uh, where's the Apollo? You know, uh, the Apollo is good for the economy because a lot of the staff who work at the Apollo live in Harlem. Uh, A lot of businesses rely on the patrons of the Apollo to come to their restaurants or the patrons to buy new outfits so they can go see a a concert or amateur night. So uh, when the theater closed, uh, which was back in 1977, uh, the theater closed one time, and the restaurants, a lot of them went out of business because people would go to a restaurant before a show or go to a restaurant after a show and they weren't getting any business. So a lot of them went under. And the same thing for the retailers. Uh, People, they they just closed up shop because people would come to 125th Street, see what's on the marquee, when he pictures up on the the marquee, and they would would, would purchase. Uh, But when the the theater reopened, oh my God, the restaurants started opening up. I remember a guy telling me when the Apollo Theater reopened in 1984, his restaurant uh, receipts went up 300% just like that. So, you know, it's good for the economy. Uh, The Apollo Theater is good for the pride uh, because the building is a city, state, and national landmark. So, you know, it's not going anywhere. No matter what happens around the Apollo, the building will always be here. As someone who has been a part of the Apollo Theater for so long, who has been here for so long, What does the Apollo Theater mean to you? The Apollo Theater means everything to me. Uh, uh, Not only spiritually, 
Uh, I'm very passionate about the history, and it's paid my bills. It's uh, put a roof over my head. It's uh, helped me to put my daughter through college. Uh, it's, it's allowed me to become a man and to be uh, uh, respected by the community. Uh, I don't know if that would have happened anywhere else. Uh, I think God had me destined to come here, walk past this building in 1965, and I'm here now 50 years later. Uh, went from running errands to now helping to run the world-famous Apollo Theater. That is a blessing. And Mr. Apollo, is there anything else you would like to add? You know, some people, you know, in corporate industry, some people start in the mail room, and, and they've gone on to become the president and CEO. But this is the world-famous Apollo Theater. Uh, I started running errands here, and now I'm part of management. Uh, and, uh, and I've held and worked in every department in this theater throughout the years. Uh, people have gone, uh, people have come, and they've gone again, and I'm still here. And I'm very grateful, very, very grateful for that. Uh, if it ended right now, uh, I can honestly say it's been a wonderful ride. I would not have changed not one moment of, of my time here at the Apollo Theater. It's, it's really something special. I'm, I'm forever grateful. For Generation Justice, I'm Polly Dinetclaw. Thank you again to Polly Dinetclaw and to Mr. Apollo, Billy Mitchell, for sharing the wonderful history of the Apollo Theater and all of the work that you've done. Now we'll get back into the music. Here are a few artists that have been featured at the Apollo throughout its long musical history. First, we have Fats Domino with Blueberry Hill, followed by The Temptations with My Girl. Found my thrill on Blueberry Hill, on Blueberry Hill. When I found you, I got sunshine. Here are The Four Tops with Baby, I Need Your Lovin', followed by Rod Stewart with Nile Rodgers and the All-Star Band, performing Otis Redding's Sittin' on the Dock of the Bay. And remember, if you'd like to see a playlist of the songs you hear on GJ, just visit KUNM.org and click Music. Another day, another night, 
Another great show. We'd like to thank Mr. Apollo Billy Mitchell for sharing with us the history of the Apollo Theater and your own work. Production assistance came from Polly Denetclaw and Roberta Rael. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all of our past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe and rate us. We are also active on social media, so make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Con Alma Health Foundation, the Albuquerque Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. I'm Katerie Zuni. Join us again next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Don't listen to size, baby, diamond ring If that diamond ring don't shine He gonna take it to a private eye